Good to see you all here this morning. A number of years ago, author Robert Fulgham uh, was feeling under the weather a bit, and so on a bleak February day, he went to see his doctor. He sat in the waiting room, and he couldn't help but notice an elderly couple sitting nearby. The woman uh, had holly berries and poinsettia leaves in her hair, and the man looked over at him and said, Merry Christmas. And without thinking, Fulgham replied, Merry Christmas. And then he remembered, wait, it's not Christmas, it's February. And uh, then the man started singing Christmas carols. Well, the nurse called the elderly man in for the appointment, and the woman moved over to Robert Fulgham to explain his strange behavior. He said, she said, after a stroke some years back, the husband's behavior started to change. And one March morning, unexpectedly, he came down from the stairs announcing he'd forgotten it was Christmas and urged his wife to help him uh, put up the Christmas decorations. So the woman called her daughters, and they all came over, and together as a family, they celebrated Christmas that day. The woman went on to explain that now every few months, uh, her husband will suddenly announce that it's Christmas, and the family will get together and celebrate Christmas all over again. No one knows, she said, when his Christmas conviction will strike, but they are ready to participate whenever it does. The woman then said, you know, it's kind of refreshing to have Christmas come as a surprise. And on many levels, the first Christmas was indeed an unexpected surprise. So this month we've been looking at the ironies of Christmas, how God has revealed the promised Savior to the world in the least likely way. Last time we looked at the first surprise of Christmas, the Incarnation. No one expected God to show, show up as a little baby. They expected something dazzling, radiant glory, um, as he did in the past. But when he showed up as a helpless baby, it took everyone by surprise. Isaiah 53, 1 and 2, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. So today we're going to look at the second irony of Christmas. We learn from the prophets and the New Testament. God chose to reveal his son, not as Israel's rightful king, but as a humble servant. No doubt this did contribute to the failure of God's people to recognize him because the prophets had declared that God was sending the Messiah to reign as king. And the irony is, they were right. A king is coming. Both the Old and New Testament prophecies tell us that Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah, whom God chose to inherit the throne or rule of David, the king in Israel. Let me just read you some of these prophetic utterances about the Messiah. Genesis 49.10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Picture of Messiah. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Or Psalm 132, verse 11. 
the Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, one we're familiar with, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government of peace. And on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And finally, Luke 1, verse 32. The angel Gabriel says this to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and we be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In fact, many prophecies indicate that Messiah would rule not just over the nation of Israel, but over the whole world. As Psalm 2, verse 8 tells us, Ask of me, God says of his Son, I'll surely give the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. According to Scripture, the Messiah, when he comes, will be truly a king. Go to the New Testament, the, the Magi were expecting a new king as they visited Jesus. When they came into Jerusalem, they asked Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east have come to worship him. And when Jesus first met his disciples, they acknowledged he was the one they were waiting for and referred to him as a king. John 1, verse 49, Nathanael looked at Jesus and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And finally, we move forward in the gospel. The crowd in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday referred to Jesus as the promised king. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, John 12, they took branches of the palm trees, went out to meet him, began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a donkey, sat on it, because it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's colt. And Jesus even referred to himself as a king in some of his parables. Matthew 25, verse 40, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, the extent you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And when he stood before Pilate, Jesus admitted that he was a king. John 18, 37. Therefore Pilate said to him, so are you a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I come into the world to testify to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Yes, the irony of Christmas was that Jesus was truly born a king through the throne of David, but he chose to be a servant. That's very significant as we move through the rest. The prophecies of Messiah also identify him as a servant. 
this ironic, paradoxical juxtaposition of this exalted king reigning over the world and this humble servant. <laughs> Isaiah 42, 1 and 2, Behold my servant, God says, whom I uphold, my chosen one, whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. He'll, he will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. Ironically, Messiah not only comes as king, but as the servant king. Christmas is the celebration of God becoming man, God with us, Emmanuel. But it's even more striking when you realize that God became the lowest of men, a servant who identifies with those who are the lowest and least among us. As going through this study, I asked myself, why is that important? And I was I was preparing this lesson, I, when I reach a kind of a block, I start praying, well, Lord, uh, maybe you can tell me why. Why is that so significant? What's the point? He's king, but he chooses to be a servant. Not surprisingly, uh, he directed me to the scripture. And this is what he showed me to explain why he chose to come as a lowly servant when in reality, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. Here's, here's a couple of passages. Hebrews 2, 17 to 18, says, Therefore Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And we can move on to Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a, such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast our confession. You know why? Because we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What impressed me was, first reason I think God wants us to know that God became a man and chose to be with us as a servant as a suffering servant, was so that we would know he understands us. He actually cares for us. I recent, someone recently remarked to me, they, they were in another church and heard a young pastor as he was preaching on suffering. And I couldn't help, their comment to me it struck me. They said, uh, you know what? He doesn't know what suffering is. He's had it made all his life. I can't relate to him because he can't relate to me. We need to know, see, when we're at our lowest, Jesus, our Savior, understands us when we're at our depths as our great high priest. Even if we've lost 
everything. We need to know that the Son of Man knows what that feels like. Sympathizing with our weaknesses, our hardships, our suffering, our losses. He stepped down from the throne, you see, to experience life and what it meant for the lowest, the least of us. So that no one, absolutely no one ever can say to him, I can't relate to you because you can't relate to me. Never, ever can anyone say that. When we are rejected, or falsely accused, or persecuted, or betrayed, or alone, or suffering deep emotional and physical pain, we need to know that the Son of Man has been there too. And God brought him through. And in the end, that was not the end. (laughs) He was exalted. Because Jesus came as the least among us, he's now able to love us and help us at boundless, boundless depths of understanding us. The paradox of Jesus, who is both king and a lowly servant, caused many at the time to doubt his identity as Messiah. You know, Jesus didn't look like a king, didn't act like a king. Uh, Kings show up in royal robes and royal guards and royal servants in majestic processions. People bow down to them. Kings command armies and judge people with the power of life and death in their very hands. Jesus didn't show up like that. At least not then, you see. (laughs) As I look at the Gospels, kings have the power of life and death in their hands, and you know what? Jesus came to give life. Over and over again. What many people didn't understand at the time is that Messiah would come first as a servant in order to lay down his life as a sacrifice for sin, but would one day return and fulfill the rest of his purpose and prophecy, be exalted and reign. What the really did not put the prophecies together yet. They didn't, it seemed like a contradiction. It didn't make sense. But this is what we see. In the same prophecy, though, of Messiah's humiliation and sacrificial death uh, as a servant, it, the same passage also affirms Messiah's exaltation. It's there. Isaiah 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant will prosper, He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Although, as we continue in the passage, he will be like a lamb led to slaughter and take on our iniquities so we can be healed. 
In the Apostle Paul, you all know this passage, and familiar with it, uh, probably. He notes the irony of Messiah in Philippians 2, 8 to 11. Speaking of Jesus, he said, well, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross, the most humiliating way to die at the time. For this reason also God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And once again, at Christmas, God turns the wisdom of this world on its head. And Jesus said, you know what, if you want to be great, Become the servant of all. Mark 10, which we'll get to someday in the next five years. Mark 10, 42 to 45. Calling them, the disciples to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. That's the metric of greatness in the world. How much authority do you have? Who's in charge? Do what I say. This needs to be changed because I think this is best. That's the world's metric. And Jesus said, but it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Those are hard words. I'm not sure we understand them. What does that mean? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Give his life as a ransom for many. The irony of Christmas is Jesus was born a king, but chose to become a humble servant for our sakes. This is another example, I think, of one of the great reversals we see in God's kingdom. This reversal about being great, I think, is a primary lesson for us. It always has been since Jesus came and taught us. This is what Jesus taught. God's kingdom doesn't operate on the principles we use in the world. It does not. In fact, many times it's very counterintuitive. It's the exact opposite. Do we want to be great in the world's eyes or in God's? That's the question. So today... uh, It's the irony that greatness in God's eyes is in service to others. So, each week I try to give you a Christmas reversal application. 
to harmonize with the lesson of Messiah's trait. So the Christmas application this week is uh, God's great reversal is this, to all who would follow Jesus, real greatness in God's sight is not how and who you command, but by how and who you serve. Mark 9.35, Jesus said, sitting down, called the twelve to him, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now you know this as well. Jesus didn't just teach that. He lived it, which he calls his disciples to do. Uh, Now if you're not a follower of Christ, but if you are a follower of Jesus, one of the core principles of what it means to follow him as a disciple. John 13, 12 to 17. So when Jesus had washed their feet, this is the night before he's going to the cross. I can't get over that, by the way. Just He knows what's going to happen. He's prepared. We'll look at it in Mark. He prepares his disciples three different times. We're going to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to be rejected. I'm, I'm going to be uh, betrayed. I'm going to be tortured and killed. On the night before, he's not pacing in anxiety. He's serving. The worst, anticipating the worst moment in his human life, he chooses to serve. I marvel at it. Anyway, when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. So, So I am. If then I... The Lord and teacher washed your feet. You also to wash one another's feet. I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you want to celebrate Christmas? Let me challenge you with this. Ask God, I'm going to do this, ask God to lead you this month in choosing someone to serve. And after you do, turn to them and say, Merry Christmas. (laughs) To know Jesus is to know him as Savior who understands what we're going through, who is with us in all of our afflictions as well as our joys, and with a compassionate heart serves us as we encounter difficulties in life. And if you do not yet know him in this way, I invite you to believe in him who became a servant to take your place and receive God's judgment for your sin. So you could be forgiven, free, and live with him for eternity.
If you've never done that, I just urge you and invite you to turn to God in prayer and say, I believe in Jesus for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for his sacrifice for my sin. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus who took off his kingly robes and picked up a basin and towel to wash us and make us clean by his sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. Would you help us to let you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, which is making us clean in your sight by believing in Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. Help us also, Father, for those of us who are Jesus followers, to choose to no longer live for ourselves, but for him, by serving others for his sake. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.